0: It's been a long time since I've seen your smiling face. It's been a long time since I've seen a sunny day. It's been a long time.
1: Oh, yes, it has been a long time. Ah, Crossing Broadcast, we are back. We are better than ever. I don't know if that's true, but I do know one thing is true, and that's there's actually a little bit of hope in Philadelphia. No, not because of the Philadelphia Eagles, but we will talk about them. There's like a rejuvenated sense of hope and optimism about your team, your town, your Philadelphia 76ers. We'll talk about them as well. Plus, uh, a prominent Philadelphia sports radio host changes his Twitter handle. Fanboys go nuts and say that Kevin Kincaid is fake news. Welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russ Joy at Joy On Broad, joined as always by Kevin Kincaid. Find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. No, not John Kincaid. Kevin Kincaid, how are you doing, Kev?
0: Not John Kincaid. Uh, No, great, man. It's great to be with you. Um, This is a great day. A great week in Philadelphia sports for, uh, well, Philadelphia in general. Number one, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are in first place in the NFC East. They looked great on Sunday night. They looked amazing. It was one of the best football games I've ever seen. I'm not sure about you.
1: Oh, Kevin, we forgot. You know, we, we started the show. We didn't tell people 40 times to go vote because this episode's going to drop vote. on Election Day. Go so vote. Did you know that we're sponsored today by the official Super PAC of Crossing Broad? Are we? No. So um, looking forward to uh, seeing all the angry tweets going out later today into the night as people try to uh parse together who actually won the election we won't know for like what a week a i'll week tell you what so.
0: one thing that's guaranteed is that we're recording this on uh monday night at eight thirty. it's eight thirty-seven p.m right now by this time tomorrow russ all of the political ads will be over yes get them out get them out the Kids,
1: of here. <laughs> i have like my kids at this point the text uh, the, messages. The, I'm
0: done with the text messages.
1: My three and a half and five year old, every time a Joe Biden ad comes on, they say, I'm Joe Biden and I pooped this message because they misunderstood <laughs> approved as pooped. And then when Trump ads come on, they're like, Stop <laughs> yeah. talking about the coronavirus. My kids are done. They're they are yeah. they're fed up. They are ready. They're actually gonna go work the polls tomorrow.
0: So, do, you have a, do you have a specific, besides that one, is there a specific political ad that you've had enough of or you, you can't see it anymore? You've seen it so many times, you could recite it by heart.
1: No, you know what? It's, it's interesting. This is the first year, it's the first election cycle that, we've, that we were cord cutters, and uh, for a presidential mm. race at least. And so we don't watch a lot of live TV. The only time that we ended up seeing any kind of ads was um, like during a game, like during watching the Eagles game. Outside yes. of that, everything else is on DVR, so we just skip through it. Um, the only real political ads we had seen are the ones that are on YouTube, because like if if the boys wanted to watch yeah, yeah, yeah. like a Dude Perfect video or uh, uh, like Raffian concert <laughs> or something, like you get you get hit with like a fifteen or twenty second ad. But like outside of that, it wasn't bad. I went to visit my parents on Sunday, took the boys over, and like two out of every three ads, they were watching Good Morning America. I don't know why they watch it, but they do. And it was two out of every three ads were political ads, presidential ads, Super PAC ads. I was like, you know what? This just needs to end. Like at this Dude. point, you're not swaying anybody, right? Kind of. Are there like any?
0: How, are there? Were there any undecided voters as of eight? Well, I don't. <laughs> eight, I don't know. But it's just like
1: <laughs> at, at this point, we're so I far into mean. this. Like you know, you okay. know where you stand. Kind of like uh, how I think most of Philadelphia knows where they stand on Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Let's get into this Eagles game a little bit because. You know, you did your your normal uh, write-up over on CrossingBroad.com, Philadelphia's most irreverent sports blog. Was a and lot um, I don't know who came out of that game feeling better, but I did learn that I'm apparently a moron because I tweeted out during the game. Or no, I think I tweeted out – yeah, during the game I said, if you don't realize uh, that two-thirds of the Carson Wentz – Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson trio need to be replaced. I don't know what to tell you. And there was, and like there was a pretty decent group of people that that were pushing back against it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm watching the same thing as everybody else. And then today I, I tweeted out like, if if at this point you felt better about the Eagles and about Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson going forward after that game, like I don't know what to tell you. And it's weird because there's just this blind loyalism that I think people usually attribute to like Flyers fans. But, like, it's weird. And there's not a whole lot of good to take away from this game. Like, sure, you won, but you beat a beaten-up, decrepit, quarterbackless team.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's and a dude. I don't know how you it, feel better about it, right? No, it's a dude. Well, that was kind of the gist of the takeaways column um, that I do every Monday morning was, you know, did you enjoy that game? Was it satisfying? Did it do anything for you? <laughs> It's like – it, it didn't. It didn't do anything for me, you know. F- uh, four turnovers. They were losing at halftime. Horrible quarterback play. You know, they only scored 15 points at home to the league's like, – on the league's worst defense. And, you know, if it wasn't for the fumble, uh, recovery, touchdown, and then the, the gimme safety that Dallas gave them by snapping the ball out the back of their end zone for the for the two points and the uh, for the analytics uh, – for analytics reasons – um, then, yeah, it, it doesn't look good. I, I don't know. I mean, the defense looked fine, but then you'd say, well, you should look good against Ben Denucci, you know, who transferred, reneged on his uh, – or decommitted from Penn so he could go to Pitt only so he could uh, transfer from Pitt and go to JMU. Uh, Chris Collins, where it seemed to think he was the next uh, Patrick Mahomes as he loved uh, loved watching the sidearm – the sidearm passes coming in. You know, um, like- Ben DiNucci, by the way, a Sheets guy. Uh, like you, hey,
1: unfortunately.
0: Hey, listen, um, dude, not now, now, I mean, you got you got to go, negative. Delphi. I don't know what's what's the f- look. I think everybody was like, this was supposed to be a game where you go and just beat up a bunch of scrubs, feel better about yourself going into the buy, come out of the buy a little bit healthier, get some guys back, you beat up on some more scrubs in the Giants, and then you look up and you're four, four and one, and well, you're like, I right, can we live with we can live with that, right? But like, I don't I don't feel like I don't I don't feel like any reassurance I don't, I don't feel any better I, I don't feel i guess the point like trying to look five or six or seven games down the line or if they get into the playoffs or something like i don't i don't see it being any different from last year or like a superior team comes in here and they lose the first round in the playoffs and then and then what you know yeah i mean except this team is i think in almost every way should perform form worse i mean
1: like the the thing that it seemed like people came back to is hey the team's getting healthy at the right time which there's a little bit of truth to i mean jason peter's was healthy and obviously that made all the difference for the eagles in this game i want to throw myself out a freaking window
0: um he had a really still, good block man he i think it was on uh i think it was alan alan smith i think he just like knocked him uh back like yeah he knocked he
1: knocked himself like he he went like That's why all i tagged up. you on twitter because i wanted to make sure he went, you saw that right? he, I went know how much fighter, you he went street fighter he went street fighter 2 on haboken and like just shot him back yeah yeah, yeah. um but you know the funny thing was after he did that he just kind of stood there like wow I really just did that and it was almost like uh, what's his nuts from the game before who stood there adjusting the uh, the gloves
0: Jamal Jamal Jamal
1: Brown right <laughs> Jamal Brown <laughs> um, I you know I I can understand when people say hey you know what the team's finally getting healthy and maybe that's going to make a difference I mean Alshon Jeffrey.
0: That story did like, great that story is, did great, by the way. The story that I posted of him fixing his gloves after uh oh yeah. um the, basically what happened While was the play's he, going he, on. He pushed his guy into another guy and then um, he crashed into jordan my and head, head butted him out of the play and i guess jamon brown was like well my job is done i took care of my guy. so i'm just gonna say <laughs> all, all it takes to get a lot of traffic on the website is just some absolutely like fucking stupid, stupid like viral moment of some guy being an idiot or something like that and then you get like 10 10 bazillion pages but i'm, I I'm mean, sorry i didn't like i right. mean we could go here so jalen rieger coming back is is big right because
1: we've been taunted for most of the season with justin jefferson just being an absolute stud
0: Right? CD Lamb looks pretty and good. I mean, last night, obviously. Well,
1: and exactly. here's the problem for CD Lamb though, right is that the loss of Dak Prescott is is an absolute killer to his mm-hmm. value. Mm-hmm. Which sucks too because by the way, I was crushing my fantasy league. I mean like obliterating my fantasy league and I had <laughs> Dak, CD Lamb and Ezekiel Elliott. Well, Dak goes out. I managed to get Justin Herbert who's been very You good. had
0: all three of those dudes on your Yeah, other? because pre- I co-
1: Because I figured that they weren't going to be good enough. They were going to have to they were going to run Zeke early and then they were going to have to play catch up and Zeke's good catching out of the backfield. Yeah. So Dak goes out. Andy Dalton looks like garbage Danucci, I mean, is not going to wow anybody, but honestly, like if you're, if you're Jerry Jones and you went into the season thinking, Hey, we have the best backup quarterback in the league in theory on paper, you, you did, I guess, but Dalton did nothing to inspire confidence after the, um, uh, the first game that he came in and relieved for Dak Prescott. He's been anything. No, he He's been would, like yeah. pedestrian since then. Um, if you're if you're the Eagles, all right, you got Jalen Rieger back. That's, that's potentially a big thing. He catches a touchdown. He had one that hit him in the hands. He maybe comes up with later in the game. Could have had a two-touchdown performance in his first game back. That's great. Deshaun Jackson came back uh, two games ago, is back out. God knows if he'll play again this season. Alshon Jeffrey, in theory, they were saying – you know, could theoretically come back. Alshon's still not back, and I know that like you're one of the people who's who uh, kind of comes up with the the question of does this kind of taint his legacy with with Philly legacy is too much of a is maybe too big of a word mm-hmm. um or is uh you know a little bit too much weight being thrown behind it but like
0: but when I don't he think comes does, when like, he comes back in 15 years for the anniversary of the Super Bowl like do people look at him differently
1: no see I don't think Cause, so cause like,
0: or no but I mean that was a rhetorical no but that was a rhetorical question because yeah, yeah. it's like you know it's the same with uh you know Aguilar or something, you know, where it's like, well, he was kind of whatever for four, four of his five years. Yeah. But the one he was really good. So I don't, I don't know, but I mean, like,
1: see Alshon get- to
0: me is like, he's, he's just a bonus if he comes back because I think of nothing else. Like
1: you wrote up this thing today about Travis Fulgham and it's like, you know, you kind of, at some point have to identify your succession plan. Right. And <laughs> Travis Fulgham in, in a way is kind of not fully comparable to Alshon, but is a big bodied receiver. Jalen Rieger kind of the way they play Jalen Rieger's kind of your replacement for Deshaun Jackson and Boston Scott is kind of like your replacement for Darren Sproles. Like in a sense, by virtue of there being injuries and by virtue of being maybe over reliant on vets and on aging vets to start the year, because Howie Roseman is clueless. Like maybe it did set you up to find their succession plan. I don't give Howie Roseman credit for this. I don't think that this is something that they expected. I don't think that Travis Fulgham is a guy that the organization thought was going to be anything more than a practice squad player, but here we are. And he actually looks good. And I know that like one of the things that people said after that game la- on, uh, on Sunday night was, well, you know, Dallas still has the weapons. Like Danucci has to do a better job with the weapons that he has. And, and maybe there's some truth to that, but he's your third string quarterback coming off of one week of first team reps. Carson Wentz, is your franchise quarterback and he looked bad. He once again looked
0: bad. And we got to get Bob on Bob on the podcast cuz he hates I think Bob hates Carson Wentz more than Phil hates Brett Brown. And that might not be like the greatest comparison for um
1: for the listeners cuz listener, well, but- cuz
0: cause, cause Phil Phil did most of his bitching about Brett Brown like in Slack and I don't know if, if how much of it was on Twitter but like Imagine that you hate somebody with the passion of like ten thousand burning suns and then multiply that by another ten thousand, and that's how much Phil Kidel hated Brett Brown. But like, you you can't. There is no we we weren't, and I, I wouldn't even like categorize like you and I or Anthony as like pro Carson Wentz dudes. I guess like if you're if you're not a Foles dude, you're like by default a fucking Wentz dude or something. It's like the dumbest logic, you know. You either you have to be like one thing or another, you know. Like you can't just like take a take a middle ground or try to like do moderate takes or whatever because you know you have to have a take right In, in 2020 in sports media you have to have a take right so but even people who were like like staunch carson supporters if they were out there like there's there's no defendant man there's just no defendant it's like i think like my take on carson um if they're watching the same slop as everybody else is that i think what happened like last year was he just didn't have anything to work with. And mm-hmm. so he started just overcompensating, like overcompensating like crazy, just trying to do too much, trying to move with his feet, trying to play hero ball, trying to make plays that just weren't there. And then he wasn't ever able to kind of like dial it back. Like once that over overcompensation was there, once that overcorrection was there, like he wasn't able to come back and correct it in the other way, you know? And so he's just kind of like stuck now in this overcorrection. Um... That was probably justified in the first place. Like, I don't have – you know, it's, it's funny because you sat here like two years ago and you're running like zone read with uh, Carson Wentz, which By the way, no, people still don't understand the difference between zone read and RPO. Maybe that would be a story for another time. But, you know, if, if you were thinking like where are you going to run him, it'd be, we, we would all think you're crazy. You know, we'd fire Doug Peterson on the spot because the guy was coming off multiple injuries. But, you know, that's what you have to do to kind of get him unstuck and get him going. But they got Rager back. They got Goddard back. Um, Travis Fulgham looks like a player, right? They're going to get Miles Sanders back. I think the difference is that this year the injuries piled up, like on the first game of the season, they had a bunch of dudes injured before they even started the season. Whereas last year it was like kind of hit in the middle and they were like, oh shit. Then they had the four wins at the end of it. So there's still time to pull him out of it. I don't know what you do to pull out of it. I don't think he's getting any help from Doug Peterson at all. I don't know what the hell Doug's doing. Doug has been like in orbit, like on another planet this year. Um, with his play calling and his decision making and these crazy two point conversions and the Jalen Hurts plays and stuff like that that drive me crazy. But well, we have to call that what it is.
1: I mean, like I I know that I I know that I've I've spent a year saying institutional arrogance about Howie Roseman, but like Doug Peterson's a narcissist, and I don't think that it's something that is warranted. I don't think it's something that he's earned. And like people will come back and say, well, he won a Super Bowl, and that's fine. Like sure. Hundred percent. He won a Super Bowl. His backup quarterback played the game of his life. Altul, Tom Brady. The Eagles won a Super Bowl. But when they won, I said back in what twenty seventeen that my fear going forward was that that was going to lead to a lot of complacency, and it was going to lead to complacency in the fan base. It was going to lead to a longer leash being given by the fan base, and I think like. At this point, I think people are starting to kind of wise up to it. But Doug Peterson acts like he's won three or four Super Bowls. He acts as if, and he, the way that he holds himself in these press conferences is as if he's infallible. And I don't get it. You know, it. This is a guy who was unwilling to name an offensive coordinator, right? Like that. That is a problem. This is a guy who has had massive play calling issues since. Frank Reich left, and you, you know we, we've we covered this how many times on the show that there's no way to know without being in the room just how big of a role Frank Reich had, or even John Filippo. Yeah, the
0: Reich and Filippo you know, take I just think is N slash A. It's not applicable because you're never going to be able to. People may be right about it. I'm not saying they're wrong, but you're never going to be able to, unless you're a fly on the wall in the room, you don't really know exactly what each one of them was responsible for.
1: But there is enough of a track record, I think, over the last couple of years to show that the – consistent, mind-boggling calls at inopportune times of the game continues to be a problem. The tuna can offense, as we always called it, continues to be an issue. And then on the rare occasion that they do air out the ball, Carson Wentz is making terrible reads, is making throws to the wrong shoulder, is throwing into double-triple coverage because he knows he has the physical ability to get the ball there. That makes a bad read. And I keep coming back around to Carson Wentz is in his fifth year. And I don't know if anybody could actually say honestly that Carson Wentz is continuing to develop. If anything, it's it's not even as if the quarterback has stagnated. I think it's pretty safe to say that he's regressed in a lot of ways. And part of that is on the player, and part of that is on coaching. And so if you've got this head coach who holds himself like Bill Belichick, who would not name an offensive coordinator, who did not want to make coaching personnel changes at the end of last season.
0: Yeah, but so I, what? Like I, there are there just... are other people who don't have offensive coordinators. Like 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 Kyle Shanahan doesn't have an offensive coordinator. You know, like some people do that split like hybrid setup, you know, where they have like a passing game person and a run game person. I don't I don't think Doug's like you're saying he's, like, narcissistic or, like, arrogant or something comparing him to, like, Bill Bel- Belichick. I don't think – like, he gets, like, snarky and frustrated with the media for sure. But, like, no, he can't sit dudes down and, like, explain he, – he can't explain all the X's and O's of everything or why they do stuff, like, right there on the spot in the press conference. And, like, should he have to? Maybe that would help his case for sure. But uh, it's just, like, this – to me, it's more of a macro-level thing. Where it's like aggressive Doug, it's great. If you want to be aggressive, okay, great. That's who you are. But a lot of the times, that's just like – it's like a square peg answer for round peg problems sometimes. You know, like there's nuance to think about what you're going to do on fourth and three. You know, for him, it's like an automatic, well, we're going to go for it no matter where the fuck we are. You know, And it's like that's doing him a disservice because you're trying to like fine-tune and like micromanage a game. And like he's lost – He's like lost the ability to kind of like compartmentalize the game and kind of figure out like, where am I right now? What's the situation? Can I look ahead a couple plays? Can I look back a couple plays? It's just like the blanket aggressiveness is just kind of a cover up for his lack of being able to, you know, attend to, to detail, really. Like, that's the way I see it. It's like, well, we're going to be aggressive here because I'm aggressive. Yeah. And we're going to go for it here because we always go for it. Um, and then, like, you know, these. These Jalen Rager like uh, Jalen Rager, Jalen Hurts goal line plays are just like like what what are you guys doing? Because it's like they like just trying to justify his use with some like Tim Tebow package, you know, but there's like no throwing option on any of these plays. And we, i talked about it on the site on Monday. This is where like my stupid big 12 knowledge actually like finally comes to manifest itself and like helping, you know, cause I watch a lot of it cause cause my team plays in the league. And then when the Eagles draft a guy from the league, I'm like, Oh, okay. I can talk about this a little bit, but Jalen hurts threw for 3,800 yards in 2019. Like he's not a scrub. No, he's not going to, like, go through his reeds and climb the pocket and, like, throw some, uh, you know, 25-yard back shoulder throw for Travis Fulgham. He's not that right now. But, dude, everything they're doing is just, like, uh, you know, jet sweep motion, jumbo package, pistol or whatever. We're going to run it with him. Like, defenses know exactly what's coming. So they're just, like, they're, they're bringing more guys than the Eagles can block, you know, and they're just running into, like, 7v8s and 6v7s and stuff like that it's just like I I don't know it just I think the thing that bothers me so much about like the hurt stuff is it's just like uh it's kind of like an insult to him you know I mean he was a four-year player he was an awesome player um who can do a lot more than that he can throw the ball and to put him in for like these like these weird goal line Tebow whatever the hell packages and then they go back to Wentz it's like I don't know. You got like 15 offensive assistants. Like, put put one of them on the Lincoln Riley Oklahoma tape, and like just take what they did within last year. I don't know why I have to dumb it down, and you know well, that comes. I, I think that kind of comes to I W
1: Johnson's question. You you solicited questions from the people because you're oh, yeah. the people and ambassador. We actually got like a request. Like but somebody was in actually... the ring, they turn a matador, somebody this Are the competition ma- completely non-existent. Yeah. Thanks, um, right. I W Johnson says uh, I'd love I'd love you guys to give your reasons for why Hertz might be a good quarterback. Was it his college game that just showed you he was NFL ready? I don't remember seeing anything about Hertz that makes me think he could do anything remotely close to helping this team win the NFC East.
0: Nah, but he's, well, I mean, he, but he's just really athletic. I mean, he's a stud athlete with a lot of upside. I don't know. Maybe they looked at him and they saw, you know, like a Lamar Jackson or something like that, or uh you know, one of these like dual threat, like mobile kind of guys. Maybe they thought that's what they had in him, you know? Um I I I, I don't know. It's just it's it's frustrating because right now and like I said, I think I said when we when we actually like, did the last podcast, which like way to frick back in like May, um It was like close to the draft. It was around the draft, and I just said, like, the last thing I want to see happen with Jalen Hurts is him turn into some like poor man's like Taysom Hill or something. Because you don't draft that in the second round. Like you don't do that in the second round. It's like to your 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 institutional arrogance take is like (laughs) it's being like done. Spot on justice this year because their second round pick, they made a luxury pick on a guy they didn't need. Yep. And don't think for a second that that doesn't affect Car- have an effect on Carson's play, too. He finally got the Nick Foles monkey off his back last year with four decent games to clinch a playoff spot, and it's like we're, we felt like we finally moved on from the Wentz and Foles argument, and then Howie Roseman goes out and drafts a quarterback in the second round anyway. He just yep. take the pressure that he just got off his shoulders, and he put it right back on his shoulders. It's like taking King Kong off of your shoulders and then lifting him right back onto your shoulders for no reason. So the second-round pick was a luxury. The third-round pick was a luxury project player, you know? Jalen Rager was injured so for most of the season right now they've been playing like until you know outside of the first game second game and week eight weeks one two and eight they were playing without their first three draft picks Yeah, it's like that's that's where I kind of think your take is more I think your Doug Peterson take is more of a is more in sync with your Howie Roseman take where it's just sort of like this we're like at this level above you we're smarter than you we're like the smartest people in the room
1: where anybody it's, with it's any just,
0: anybody with half a brain is saying like why the fuck are you taking a quarterback in the second round why are you taking a project linebacker in the third like you don't have the luxury of taking these you are not good enough that you can afford to use these picks on on these kinds of guys to me like your take is more like a like a macro kind of
1: thing So the question about why we think that Jalen hurts could be a good quarterback. I mean, part of it is athleticism and and we've seen plenty of quarterbacks over the last few years, really break into the league and and find immediate success because of the use of their athleticism, coupled with decent passing accuracy. You look at, at hurts in his, uh, lone year with Oklahoma, he completed just under 70% of his passes. He completed 73% the year before with Alabama. Um, in both years i think it was about 11 yards um per pass you think about a guy who you know was accurate his passer rating in both of those years i think was like north of 191 the fbs record was 199 i believe Mm -hmm. like four or five years ago so like he's no slouch by any stretch um i found something from i guess it was just it was like october of last year he was rocking like a two twenty six rating or something like that. It was absolutely bonkers. Like Jalen no, hurts. I mean, the defenses like, suck, and the sure.
0: Big but he was. But he was but, no. He, was, he, was, like, he sure. was. good too. Yeah.
1: But but also noted, and and again, like I guess I kind of come back to Alabama is always a stacked team, right? So you kind of think of like, is it fair to try to extrapolate data from that experience onto what he would you know have in the pros? I don't know, like this isn't the most stacked offensive unit right now, but like, could Jalen Hurts really be that much worse? I mean, just having the added dimension of having a guy who can run, like when you watch Carson Wentz run, watching him run now in 2020 is like the same feeling as when we said during the Sixers playoff run, or I guess it was before, because our last episode was in May, but like watching Joel Embiid run in 2020 versus like his rookie year when he ran like a gazelle is kind of like the disappointment that you feel watching Carson now versus his rookie year. Like the, the lack of explosiveness is very clear. The lack of, you know, um, like his overall top speed is kind of sad to watch. I'm not saying that Jalen hurts would like propel this team into, you know, the NFC conference winning, uh, you know, conversation. I don't think it would you kind of have to at some point do the calculus on like, what are what are the long-term goals of the organization? And like, this comes back to why I said, I think two out of three need to get replaced at some point. I think Howie's done a terrible job building a team. He has a pretty terrible track record of drafting players. He has a decent track record of finding guys to put on the practice squad that eventually kind of by virtue of, you know, over-reliance on aging vets get called up and, and end up doing a pretty good job. He sometimes does a good job finding like a Jordan Mylata who – you know, I think got screwed by having to get pulled out of the lineup so that Jason Peters is 38, you know, 38-year-old corpse decrepit ass had to get back out there and play. Well, and the At Nelson elect-
0: the Nelson Aguilar comparison, that quote from Doug on on Friday or Thursday whenever it's it was, was just ab- absolutely ridiculous. Again, like, this, he, he, like, should, he should go the- into <laughs> – he should have went up to Jordan Maialata after that and apologized because it was just
1: it's that crazy. ridiculous.
0: I don't know why. I, I can't Im- – I've never seen like a team just – um, you know, shows show so much loyalty to a dude like Jason Peters, who, who by the way, held you hostage for more money because he wanted he wanted to he wanted more cash to go play left tackle. What other like, so so does the that loyalty happen? Team, like where does so that where
1: else does that happen? I know this is yeah. the gold standard, this is the new norm, but like you have an aging player who has proven time and time again he cannot stay healthy, he is not reliable. He was okay last year. But came off the field quite a bit.
0: Well, and what is he? So, the but the question really, the question really to move it forward is like, has Jason has the loyalty that the Eagles have shown in Jason Peters? How has that been reciprocated? Like, has it been reciprocated with him playing at a Pro Bowl level and staying on the field over the last three? Not over the last three years. Like up until twenty sixteen, sure, but. I don't know. He's had probably one, uh, one, like one good year out of the last three. So I don't know why you feel like you owe that person. That. They don't owe him anything. He's earned like more than a hundred million dollars during. his Well, career. I
1: wonder if this is you know part of it is and I Jordan, wonder
0: Ma- Jordan might Ma- Ma- a lot of sat there for sat there for two years watching and and learning. So for for Doug to say that he has to step back and and <laughs> like Nelson Aguilar and like learn that way i forget what the exact phrase well i do wonder wonder if the jason thing like i
1: i wonder how much of it is how he doesn't want to look bad but i wonder how much of it is doug advocating because doug was a player and doug you know we saw this with darren sproles with this idea of like keeping darren sproles around so he could leave on his own terms is it not wanting to break that, that sense of the football fraternity that he, he doesn't want to turn away from Jason Peters? Well, they, they don't want the to have free agency like and nobody wanted him. Uh, and then you're like, okay, Brandon Brooks goes down and you're like, all right, here you go. Right guard. Please enjoy. And then finally, Jason Peters pulls his head out of his keister and is like, all right, I'll do it. And then the well, second to be that title spot opens up. The dude holds them over the, over the I don't know, what's the expression? Holds them over the, rakes, the rakes barrel. them over the coals. For, and it's oh, like, yeah. and and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, now we have to pay him more money. And Jordan Maillat is 23. We had no expectations for Jordan Maillat coming into the season. He acquitted himself well in that role. This is not a team that's going to compete for the Super Bowl. If there is a year for you to try to give your young tackle a chance to find success – and a chance to prove himself, and a chance to grow into the role, you do it now for all the same reasons that like a young team or a team that has a lot of young players in any sport. Think of the Flyers this year. You want to get some of your young players' playoff experience. In this case, you want to get your young player, your young 23-year-old tackle who is a massive human being. You want to get him playing time in regular season games that matter, but in a season that like there's no pressure. Who has the the thought right now that this is a team that can contend for a Super Bowl? It's not well, there. I mean, that rational person's not out there. But instead, you feel this loyalty to 38 year old Jason Peters, and, and you throw this 23 year old off and say what? Well, he can become our our rotational tackle. Here's an idea. Why don't you just have Jason Peters work in at right tackle? Because Lane Johnson has had plenty of injury issues this year with his ankle. What if they just kind of platooned the right tackle position? As long as Jordan Mailata is able to, you know, continue to, to play at a solid enough, you know, role. Why is that the problem? Why does he have to become the utility guy and not the 38-year-old who should not play in his age 39 season? Like, it's this organizational arrogance that I don't understand. I don't get where they get off making these calls year in and year out. Darren Sproles, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Jason Peters, like, this list just keeps well, it's growing, like they and need to. you just have to move on. It It is time to either move on or tell these guys, play this role. We have this small role for you, and you are valuable in our locker room to guide these younger players. This is your role. Take it or leave it. And if the guy leaves it, he leaves it. But that's on the player.
0: Well, if they, it's kind of funny because, you know, it's like they – from Andy Reid to Chip Kelly, they swung the pendulum from one end of the uh, emotional intelligence spectrum to the other. Then they did a hard correction back the other way when they brought Doug Peterson back, and it was like, well, we're going to have this family environment and loyalty and the culture here, and everybody's going to buy in, and and they did. You know, I mean, they they needed to 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 pull back from the from the Chip Kelly ledge where he was just getting rid of these dudes with no problem you know and didn't have any any thoughts for <laughs> for the players or the culture or their families or their status or anything like that but I think now you're in a situation where it's like it almost seems like they're Kind of kind of paranoid to go back to anything chip related or uh or God forbid have another like Brian Dawkins situation where you let a veteran walk before he's ready to go and then he goes and plays well somewhere else, but, but none of these guys you have, have the clout to have and- you have to hang hang on hang on hang on, but they you don't have to like that that's not really like what the situation calls for right now you know the the place you don't want to be is somewhere like in between where you're in purgatory where you have like some young guys who are worth play in time like the Travis so they they would have never stumbled under for um stumbled upon Travis Fulton if it wasn't for the injuries to all these other doofuses you know so that's the irony of it is that they need to they want to be loyal if they want to have emotional intelligence they want to have this like culture and this Andy Reid Doug Peterson like you know um you know lovable like uncle kind of like we're all in it together yeehaw kind of kind of thing and they they wanted to get away from the cutthroat Chip Kelly stuff but you, you need a little bit of that with guys like Darren Sproles and to your point about Jason Peters and dudes like that, it's, it's at the end of the day, like you say, it's, this is business. Like it's, it's not personal. Like we still love you, but it's time to let 38 year, 38 year, 38 year old dude, like ride off into the sunset in the hall of fame. So like, I, I don't know. It just seems like they're kind of, I don't know, like like caught in, in two minds right here. and The fact that the division is absolute dog shit doesn't really help the case because it's kind of like the Larry David meme on Twitter where he's like, eh, you know, like I could try to win the division or maybe like, maybe like kind of tank and let some other guys play. So it's just kind of, it's a weird situation because they're probably going to win the division. They're probably going to host in the playoff game, but everybody really knows that there's just not a lot of substance to it.
1: It'll be six, nine and one. And then Jalen Hurts will come in, in in week 17 after Carson, you know, implodes. And then uh, they'll write it to we'll a Super it. Bowl. And then we'll do it all you over know, again. it is interesting. We, we talked about Doug and we talked about Hurts. But, like, this idea that Doug claims he didn't even consider benching Carson after the game he
0: had had. Yeah, after- but I agree. I kind of agree with that actually now in hindsight because, it's like, it was only a two-point game. And going into the bye, then what the fuck? The guys bench during the bye and then you have two weeks to like have a quarterback controversy going into that. Like he he was right to say though like he felt that Wentz could win the game. And of course he did win the game. We all knew it was gonna happen. But the funny thing about the Donovan McNabb benching, because everybody brought that up, that Ravens game from two thousand eight is that Similarly, like the Eagles were only losing like 10 7 in that game, Mm -hmm. but it was like a hundred yard. I think like Quentin Demps had like a hundred yard touchdown return or something, like kickoff return or something like that. Like Donovan was like absolute dog shit. So I just think the timing of the bye is what kind of precipitated, predicated. I don't know if either of those words works, but led up to that decision or influenced that decision. Um, could you, I otherwise, could you imagine us sitting here? for 2 weeks talking about like Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz like w- for a team that's on on a 2 game winning streak you know assuming that Hurts would have come in and won that game you know
1: that's why i said before i think so much of this has to come down to like if you're Jeffrey Lurie what what's the 5 year plan because if
0: i don't if, there doesn't seem to be one
1: well there, that's i think a big part of the problem and if if you're going to make a luxury pick in the second round you then have to kind of deal with the questions that are going to be asked about the quarterback position. It's just how it's going to roll. And if hurts, you know, it's interesting because so many people have now brought this up. You wrote this over on the site, but like, if you're going to have Jalen hurts, then he's, he's got to see more snaps. And I get the idea that you might be breaking the flow of the offense. You might be breaking Carson's, uh, I, we can't even say rhythm. Cause he really hasn't had that many stretches where it's looked like he's been in rhythm for extended periods. Um, but you're, you're taking the ball out of his hands and, and putting it in Jalen Hurts' hands. Look, I think it's, it's been pretty clear that defenses have to at least honor Jalen Hurts as a dual threat when he's on the field. And if he's going to be the one taking the snap, they have to account for him. At some point, if you're Doug, if your are big balls, Doug, if you're you know Mr. Innovative, I don't hire an offensive coordinator because I'm going to call all the plays, fine. Then show us the creativity. Show us something that makes us believe that you know what you're doing. And until you do that, like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm not, I'm not in on, on old uh, Dougie P. I got I'm, not, a, um, I'm not a big truster of guys who wear visors. Like you're a grown man with a middle part and a visor. Like I have an issue.
0: I've got a uh, breaking news text message here. Let's see uh, what it says. It says, uh, um, Joe Biden uh, gave a billion dollars to Iran, he would be a disaster and would get us into another deal with those terrorists.
1: Where is Vote that from on Tuesday?
0: This is from oh, 8, oh, this eight five five two one three. Are you getting the text messages? I I, yeah, just I stopped I, get some. I stopped replying. Stop because I was just like I'm getting so many of them. I don't like give a shit. Yeah, but the nice thing is that I still have a Georgia area code from the time I lived down there. So if there's if like I see like a seven zero six or something like that, I just like ignore it because I know it's like some uh political bullshit or whatever so yeah um anyway what, what do you want to talk what do you want to talk about you want to talk about the Sixers? Turn,
1: yeah let's turn the page from one team that makes me want to smash my head against a wall to a team that like all of a sudden has i don't know kind of rejuvenated my my love and excitement for the sixers <laughs> i'm like the worst kind of person people were so
0: you. there were some people were so fucking down and out on them like just two months well, okay. ago I can't, I can't believe they pulled off everything they pulled off
1: think the- about like <laughs> You talk about the idea of failing upwards, right? Like that was always the thing with the Flyers too, right? Like yeah. Paul Holmgren, GM, burns, burns through cap like you wouldn't believe, gets the team in some bad contracts, fails up to president of the organization, fine. Now you look at it, the, the Sixers somehow went from Elton Brand who admitted that after two years he didn't know what the hell he was doing and Brett Brown who was a nice guy but didn't have the the clout of a big name coach. And a couple months later, you've got Doc Rivers, who I'm, I'm not sure is the the guy to coach this team, but like in terms of bringing clout and in terms of, you know, being a, a recognizable name and somebody who has had success in the past. Okay, cool. He was the that, best
0: dude they, could, he was the best dude they sure. could get
1: at the time. So you got Doc Rivers. That was a pretty mm-hmm. big moment. And then the tipster came in to uh, the the tipster. tipster
0: We got to tell the tipster story.
1: Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden, Daryl Morey majestically, magically steps away from the Rockets. You're like, nah, they couldn't. They couldn't possibly. Could they? Would they? Nah. And then all of a sudden, Daryl Morey is the president of the Sixers. And you just sit back for a second and you think, how did this happen? And did Daryl Morey have anything to do with the hiring of Doc Rivers? And this comes to the tipster. Kevin, tell the story of your people.
0: So we have like the feedback form at the top of the website where people can just drop in like tips or whatever, you know, like, um, Hey, I was listening to JJ Reddick's podcast and you know, Jimmy Butler said this, or, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, have a new, um video of my daughter doing a backflip while wearing an Eagles jersey if you want to put it on the site you know just like anything random right so we have um there's a guy who drops us these six um these Eagles tips actually and he's been like accurate on a bunch of stuff like he said Mac Hollins was getting released I think he said like Jalen Ramsey was going to the uh, Rams (laughs) like that um, uh, Jordan what's his face was um, Jordan Matthews was signing with the Eagles I'm like okay this guy knows what he's talking about so like because of that, you know we take you kind of kind of take everything that comes in there, at least somewhat seriously. So this guy just comes in so I think it was October twelfth. So it was like, was that three weeks ago now? And he says, Daryl Morey is the new president of the Sixers. He's leaving the Rockets, yeah, and I'm like, well, sh- I mean, maybe I'm just like trolling here, but just to like cover my bases or whatever, I just put it on Twitter, and I'm like, well, we might have a great source here, or else this guy sucks or he's a troll or whatever you know, yeah, and then sure enough, like maury steps down i'm like oh shit okay well maybe we got something here trying to contact this person but i don't have any way all i have is an ip address so i'm just like well i will see if they'll pop back in here and uh yeah sure enough i mean then we sent video guy
1: craig to the guy's house we've actually (laughs) tracked him down with the ip address like uh, like john clark at the uh the airport
0: but it was it's funky because um you know it would make sense because he could, even though he would still be under contract with Houston and he was, he was still working with them. They could have been talking behind the scenes and he could have said to doc, like doc rivers could have said, look, I want to go to Philly because I like their roster. Uh, cause, cause Daryl Morey wanted him to come and interview for the Rockets job and he could have contacted him while he, while he was still under contract and said, oh, I'd like the Sixers uh, deal. You know, maybe we could work something out with that. So, you know, otherwise it would be, it's like, um, you know, he can't negotiate with another team really, or they can't, they can't, you know, not supposed to do that when you're under contract with another team but uh they very well could have like kind of like behind the scenes you know work something out i I wouldn't doubt that at all you know and that would that would work off the timeline that the tipster was giving us but you know the way it worked out on paper was that they hired the coach first and then they hired these guys like peter dinwiddie and uh, prosper uh, Karangwa and uh, then jameer nelson whatever and then they got the top executives like they did it backwards Yeah. Yeah, you because know, normally you'd hire Maury and then he'd hire the front office guys and they hire the coach, you know, so it just looked weird the way they did it. But you can make the argument, too, that these, this is when these guys became available. You know, they just got these guys when they became available and they put together a really good, really good group. You know, I, I think they probably ended up, all things considered, they probably ended up with the best, you know, group that they could have. I mean, Dave Yeager, Dan Burke, Sam Cassell. It's a damn good. And Kessel, who, by step. the way,
1: was a guy that I think a lot of people were interested in interviewing for the head coaching job for a head coaching here. job.
0: Yeah, you know. So, like, I mean, all all things all things considered, I mean, I think that's great. I think the so, I think the thing that bothers there's I have like three concerns, and I'll read these off to and you can react to them. My number one concern is Doc Rivers said that he was getting ready to take a break, mm-hmm. you know, and he didn't have a good playoff series, you know. Montres Harrell giving him a bunch of minutes and the, the plus minus when he was on the floor and off the floor, that was an issue. Yo, he did uh, that title, uh, that press
1: conference where he said that uh, – he did the thing with uh, Joe Biden where he's like, we got to close this one out. And I was like, Jesus, oh, dude, I yeah. don't know if you're the one who should be talking about closing something out. Right now. Yeah,
0: and- his play – he hasn't – you know, he, he hasn't won um, – Yeah, he went to the finals in 2010 and they lost to a Kobe team and they went to the finals in 2008 and they won, but he had three future Hall of Famers on that team too. So you can make the argument that Doc Rivers hasn't won anything recently So or or how motivated is he if he he was going to take a break. Number two, Daryl Morey said he was going to take a break too and spend time with his kids or whatever, so I'm not really sure. And number three is just, I mean, you can hire all these great coaches and all these front office people, but the roster is still the same. You still got the Al Horford contract. You still have the Tobias Harris contract. Um, as Howard Eskin would say, Joel Embiid is still fat and out of shape, and uh, Ben Ben Simmons, in his words, won't won't shoot a 15 foot jump shot. So um, there's legitimate reasons to be. They fixed pretty much everything they could fix, but they painted themselves into a corner with some of these contracts. So it's not, uh, you know, I want to like like crap on everybody's parade or go Negadelfia or whatever. But that's the reality of the situation. Like they didn't change any of the players yet. So there are two
1: things that I kind of like. I guess two things I want to throw out. So one. I mentioned before with the Eagles about succession plans. Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder, and and this is one of the things I was interested in. So Elton Brand signs a uh, contract extension as part of this move, which I think is interesting and and is also a smart play by him because you know he did admit that the first two years he didn't know what he was doing and he felt like he was ready now. You're learning under one of the best executives in in the entire league over the last pick however many years, so there there's no real downside there, and as long as you're willing to be humble about the fact that like you're not the one calling every shot now. Okay, fine. Because now I think if you're Elton Brand, you actually have taken a lot of pressure off of yourself by having Daryl Morey come in. Because now Daryl Morey is the guy that everybody's going to think is making the trades, is making the signings, is targeting players. Elton Brand like has kind of in in a way insulated himself. And so it makes sense for him to stay here long term. The Sam Cassell thing I think is interesting because I don't know if Doc Rivers finishes the contract that he signed. You know, you mentioned that he he had considered taking a break. I wonder if there is at some point the thought that like you look to kind of hand the reins over. And Sam Cassell is going to be ready to take over a team probably in the next two to three years. It seems like there was at least interest from a few teams uh, for him to take a, a look at, at as at least an associate head coach in the league. So I don't mind there being some kind of a uh, of a handoff plan. Maybe you know both at the front office level from Maury to Elton Brand, it's saying in four or five years or from Doc Rivers to Sam Cassell. Like, I don't think that's a, a bad thing necessarily. I do wonder,
0: go ahead. No, I, I just, I, it, it's interesting to to think about. Um, I don't know. I I don't think that this is the, the roster that they win with. I don't, I don't, I don't think that Doc Rivers, Daryl Maury, and this new group of, um, coaches gets them any I mean are they any better than what they were last year with the different coaching staff so let me (laughs) let me throw this out to you so I I think
1: people need to kind of come up with you have to be in a camp I'm not going to let you third party your way out of this I'm not going to let you write in your candidate like I did in 2016 I want people to to make a legitimate choice here if Daryl Morey can get you off of bad deals, if he can get you out of the Al Horford contract and, or the Tobias Harris contract, but that makes your team worse this year, or even if it meant this year, you're obviously worse because you might not be getting back anything of real value and you might have to attach picks, but you can get out from under the Al Horford deal and maybe even the Tobias Harris deal. And you're more or less sacrificing this year with a chance with better cap flexibility a season from now. Do you sacrifice this year to do it, or do you maybe somehow work out a way to get rid of the Al Horford deal, get back somebody who might have similar term or similar dollars over the next couple of years, and maybe be able to make a few moves around the outside that make you into like a quote-unquote contender in the Eastern Conference? Like, I, I would take getting out from
0: under the contracts any day of the week. I would just try. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to try to move on from Horford no matter what. I mean, Tobias Harris has had success playing for Doc Rivers. Problem is that it's, a, you know, it's a lot of pick and roll and stuff like that. So, if you're playing pick and roll with Tobias Harris, it means one of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid is just fucking standing there, you know. And this is my issue with um, with the Brett Brown to, to Doc Rivers transition is it, I know people are down on Brett and I know it kind of ran its course. I know Brett didn't exactly cover himself in glory in the playoffs and whatnot, but he tried to build an offense around the quirks of, you know, around the individual uniqueness of Ben and Joel, right? Okay. So he had two non-shooters. How do you make two non-shooters work? Run motion offense, give one of them the ball, you know? And, so, no team no, – no coach is coming in here. Jay Wright, Doc Rivers, no, no, none of those dudes are coming in to play four out, one in. You know, you're not playing five out. You're not playing small ball. You know, so they played a motion offense. They passed it a bunch, and they went, they went from there. So, I don't know. I just, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I think when you go back through, if there's a path forward here, because I think we all probably agree that, like, look, you're going to give Ben and Joel a shot with another coach before you break them up because it would be premature to do that. You know, it'd be ashamed to break them up before another coach gets it, gets a crack at them. But when they were at their best, it's when they had a sniper at the two, JJ Reddick, it's when they had a three and D wing, Robert Covington. And it's when they had a stretch four with Dario Saric, you know, that was the best offensive. The, the offense was clicking the most when they had that grouping. You know, that offensive grouping was a lot better than anything that Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris ever were. So then you think about the downside, well, why did that group fail? Well, they didn't have a lot of experience in the playoffs. You know, JJ was hard to hide defensively. Dario wasn't the best defensive player either, but that's the blueprint for making it work offensively. You know, shooters, you have to have three shooters, you know, because you have two non-shooters right now. You can't add any more non-shooters than you already have. So I think I'm more interested, I'm less interested in what Daryl Morey does. And I I I would say, you know, if you can get, let's assume that even if they have to keep Al Horford, that he's not going to be starting and that you're trying to make it work with, with Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris has to go down to the four. Like he's got to go down to the four or shake Milton has to play point guard. And they try this Ben Simmons power forward experiment thing, but they need, you have to have three shooters. Like if you can, even if you can turn like Al Horford and attach somebody else, or even if you have to get rid of Matisse or something and lose him as collateral and bring, bring shooters back, like, That's how you have to do it. I mean, that's what they that's the one thing they don't have is shooting. You know, in a in a sport where you have to shoot the ball through the hoop. So
1: I think it's gonna be interesting. Like I think that there's going to be a paradigm shift here with Maury being in town that people are gonna have to get ready for, which is the the guy doesn't draft. And if you have
0: grown Yeah, they did the Rockets didn't even have a pick the last this last year.
1: And if you have fallen in love with a couple of young players, they're probably gonna go. Right, because it's all about maximizing the short term, and I don't. I, I think it, it's one of the things that people kind of have tiptoed around for long enough. But like, there is no guarantee that Joel Emb Joel Embiid is playing in four or five years, right? I mean, he has managed to stay healthy, quote unquote. The navicular bone injury has not, you know, manifested itself in recent years. We haven't seen the back issues flare up as badly as they could have over the last couple of years. But like, if you're trying to think of like, when is your window to maximize? It's probably in the next three or so years. The one thing that I think Maury brings to the table that I feel exponentially better about is I think they're going to fill out the roster a lot better. Like I'm not expecting there to be some blockbuster deal. I mean, the one that everybody kind of points to is, is Al Horford for buddy healed. Right. And if you're a Sacramento, you've got to hope that you're getting something else, maybe a draft People asset. People trying to
0: speak that one into no, existence. Yeah. It would
1: be great. And, like, Buddy Heald clearly hates being in Sacramento and won't respond to Luke Walton's texts. And that's all great. That's all great if you're looking to try to, like, fantasy book a you know a move out. And, boy, oh, boy, if you think of the kind of shooter that Buddy Heald can be as a catch-and-shoot guy to play off of Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid and also create his own shot, like, yeah, he'd be a great fit. And maybe that also allows them to maximize Tobias Harris more. But I don't know if those are going to be the deals. But I do think that they're going to go into a season with much better overall options than like Mike Scott, right? Like I don't, yeah, want, yeah. I don't want a team of Mike Scotts and Hal Nettos. They, right? did, did I, you? I want, I want a legitimate team. I want a team that you know seven through ten is a respectable group. Isn't like a you know we're burning ourselves at the stake every time we have to go to our bench. I think Maury will be able to do that. And I think Doc Rivers, as a, as a guy who has clout in the league, is probably going to be able to attract some of those guys as well.
0: Did you uh, notice that um, Maury seemed to speak very highly of Joel Embiid at the press conference while Ben Simmons was always kind of brought up as like the second guy? Or his yeah. name, or he had to like remember to bring up his name, it seemed like there was a lot more if I'm trying to read between the lines, it sounded like he was a lot. <laughs> well, did you see a the lot tweet? more interested in uh, what what tweet? So there
1: was a tweet Maury put out, I think it was around six o'clock, um where it was a a FaceTime call of him and Joel. Mm, mm-hmm. I think it's very clear that the organization is they've made the call. I think last last season. They hurt Joel Embiid's feelings.
0: Uh, I don't think well, who that the they fuck would... cares. I mean, well, I think they up, I, mean...
1: I think they very clearly do care now
0: because. Well, and Ben saw... Simmons, Brett Brown was Ben Simmons' guy. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm so saying because a year
1: because a year ago they move on from Joel's best friend Jimmy Butler, they get rid of the player that played the best off of him and J.J. Redick. Yeah. You yeah. know, and now it's almost as if they're they're trying to reaffirm their love and 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 relationship with Joel. I get why Maury would, would go out of his way to to praise Embiid. I don't think that it was a throwing shade at Ben Simmons. You
0: think he needs more sunshine blown up his ass? He does no, because does, I, he's, I think he Simmons – He needs to be coddled a little bit more.
1: See, like, I, I think Ben Simmons, like, while from the media perspective isn't, like, the most glowing and, and extroverted guy in the world, I think that there's an understanding that Ben Simmons is going to bust it in the gym and is always going to be ready. Like, he's a workhorse guy. We've seen him go from a defensive yeah. liability in college to being, you know, up for defensive player of the year. I, like I think that Ben Simmons is a guy they know they can rely on. I think they realize that Joel is, you know, maybe a little bit soft, or well, is, you know what they, or is a guy who needs to be coddled a bit. And if this is what what does it, then that's
0: what it takes. Yeah, it, I mean, that's a know, good that's a good take. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, you know, it's interesting because, like, obviously Maury was asked about small ball and shooting three-pointers and stuff like that. I wrote that column about how the Rockets could not be any more of a polar opposite of of what the Sixers are right now. And, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer to say that, like, Maury is in love with small ball and shooting three-pointers and stuff like that. I mean, that's the case recently, but it wasn't always the case, you know. Like And he pointed this out today. Like, they they won, like, 50... Shit, they won like fifty three games with Yao Ming or something. And then they won like fifty-two the next year or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, he traded for I think they had like guy. Luis Scola was on those teams, you know, and they gave him he gave him a bunch of money to Clint Capella before the trade too. So yeah. there's proof. I don't know if if how if two thousand seven through two thousand twelve is really even applicable to the modern day NBA, but it's to say that Darren Morey never liked Biggs is incorrect because he won and had success with them. Um won 55 plus games with them. I think they reached, they are very close to the conference finals. I think they lost four to three to somebody with Yao Ming and like one of his last years or something like that. But I don't, yeah, I mean, they're not going to like shoehorn. They're not just going to say, well, we play small ball. We're going to chuck a bunch of three points. Cause obviously it doesn't fit the personnel and to make it fit, they'd have to blow it up and trade everybody. So I don't think they're going to do that either, but I don't know. I mean, I, th- I feel like he said the right things. At the press conference, it was interesting. Like, I asked him about, like, hey, can you just go through the hierarchy and kind of explain who's doing what here because you have a a brand new front office. And he said you're not doing the collaboration thing because the collaboration thing was a failure. So now Elton's the GM, but he really doesn't have any decision-making and you're going to collaborate, but you're not really – it's sort of like – it's kind of what they had before, but you have a bona fide, legitimate experienced guy at the top who can say, like, this is what we're going to do, and he's got the final say. So, obviously, it's a better setup now yeah. um, than what they had before, except the salary cap and the contracts and whatever aren't that good. So, I like, to, to wrap that up, like, Sixers fans should be excited. I think they, they're re-energized. I think they got the best guys for the for the spots that were available without really having a plan and just sort of stumbling into a good coach, a good executive, and some other good guys as well, but it's, it's, you know, you should, you should proceed, probably proceed with cautious optimism they based, failed on, upwards. based on and the it's... fact that they're right at the roster. Yeah. That's a great, no, no, I think that's like the perfect way to say it. They failed upwards because uh, they stumbled into these dudes with that, with their only originally, their only plan was to fire Brett Brown. Let's be real. So, when
1: is the last time the Sixers have gone into a season with a coach GM combo that has as much clout in the league as these two do? It, yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. It hasn't happened in the last twenty years. I mean, I'm, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, like I, but like you know, even in that case, the coach isn't isn't part of that. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, you you can't really go back twenty years. Do you go back even further? Like, I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody who's listening who's like screaming about somebody from like the the '80s or the '70s or something. But like, even if we expanded this to all of Philadelphia sports, like, when is the last time you've gone into a a season where? the GM and the coach of the team have as much clout as they do across the league. And I, I don't, I don't have it. I mean, Fletcher Fletcher and like Fletcher and Vino for the flyers. Like they're to some extent, like they were both respected. I don't know if anybody thought of Chuck Fletcher as like a, nobody
0: knew who the fuck Chuck Fletcher was. I mean, like even people who aren't like hardcore NBA fans know who Daryl Morey is, you know? So yeah, I do not know who Chuck Fletcher was until they brought him in here, but I'm not a hockey guy. So. You're not a hockey guy, Bo. F. Barber Jr. once, uh, he says, can you break down Daryl Morey dunking on Howard Eskin today and uh, where in that ranks in the all-time dunks on Eskin uh, by Philly athletes and staff. It was a great dunking because it was just very casual. It wasn't really mean or anything like that. But, wow. <laughs> but uh, Howard – oh, my God – god bless him like uh you know of course uh he asked the question that the same question that he's been asking to every single person who will take a question from him in the sixers organization uh, joellen Emb- his, his here's howard's uh, agenda here's the shtick joellen beat is fat and lazy ben simmons won't shoot okay can you comment on that um no, nobody's ever going to comment on like, You're never going to get a real answer to that. Like, you know, you ask yeah. the question, nobody, you don't get anything legitimate in return and people laugh at you. But he kind of said, Howard said, um, well, you know, it's your first press conference. So you have to say all the right things and blah, blah, blah. And then he went on to say that he thinks Embiid's fat and Ben Simmons sucks. And then Maury just says, um, do I have to say nice things about you? And Josh Harris just has this like shit eating grin on his face. <laughs> he's, never, <laughs> like he's never uh like he didn't expect that one to come and out and brand started laughing too. Doc Rivers looked uh confused, like he didn't know what the heck was going on. But it was it was perfect because it's just like you know, like those those questions. Um it's funny because a lot of people say, like, well, he's asking the hard questions, and it's a legit question. It is a legit question, like is Joel Embiid in shape? He does he hasn't been in shape the way he was his first year, you know, and is Ben Simmons going to ever shoot a jump shot? That's a legit question. Absolutely. But it's illegitimate when Howard asks it because that's all he ever asks. And because there's an agenda behind it and because he doesn't ask anything positive and because he's not working media. So that's why he never, that's why people don't take him seriously. And that's why he never gets a good response to an otherwise legitimate question because he's painted himself into a corner. as a guy who just asks the same thing over and over and over again. So that that's what, so when you come down to it, you say, who are you really asking the question for? You know, if the executive or the coach or the president or whoever, the owner isn't going to answer it and the, you know, the reader, the fan, the listener, isn't going to get any kind of real answer, real tangible, like result from it, then who are you asking the question for? You're asking it for yourself because it's about Howard. It's about the show. It's about being the center of attention. It's about your shtick. You know, it's about making sure you're in the thick of it, even though you're not working media and you just do your two hour radio show on Saturday. So that's why people laugh at it. Cause it's, you can't take it seriously. If he wanted to, you know, use the quote for something, or if he wanted to write an article, or if he was actually a real, you know, fair and balanced kind of dude, then maybe people would respectfully answer his questions, but they don't. So it just becomes a sideshow. And, uh, you know, we we laugh at it. So well, you
1: know that he was gonna be one of the people that, that they were prepping Maury for ahead of time. As like you're gonna get a question from this guy, here's the history, here's the story, like here's yeah, what he was. Here's
0: your background on this guy. He's a dope. Um, he was well respected at one point, and uh now he's just become a caricature of himself, you know, unfortunately. So um but that was not the only um media news in the Philadelphia. Uh, region recently uh craig carton there were some bullshit rumors that we were being fed about him Uh, he ended up getting out of jail to go back to wfan so (laughs) it's just just proof to anybody everybody that you can uh you can uh he's really rehabilitated rehabilitated (laughs) you can steal billions of dollars millions of dollars from people and go to jail for a year and uh then end up with a great job when you come out of it but now it's interesting because um You know, we, we think we're pretty sure it was the agent or him just leaking some bullshit to, um, to the New York, New York Post. Andrew Marshawn at the New York post saying, well, the fanatics interested, the fanatic never from, from what I'm told, the fanatic never really had, it was never really like serious. That rumor was never really serious. They like Craig Carton and Eric Johnson used to work. The former program director, Eric Johnson used to work with Craig Carton and, um, he would have been a fit there, but there was never like New York. It was just New York and bust for Craig Carton. Um, I, I believe that in the uh,
1: the initial phone interview with 97.5, it went something like they asked him if he was rehabilitated. And, and he said, rehabilitated? Now, let me see. I, you know, I don't have any idea what that means. Not a day goes by that I don't regret it. Not because I'm in here or because you think I should. Oh, I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try and talk some sense to him. Tell him the the way things are, but I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that's left. I've got to live with that. Rehabilitated? That's just a BS word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time, because to tell you the truth, I don't give a crap. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. I gotta give you that one. Another uh, guy, another guy
1: who was uh in town for interviews uh is not related to Kevin Kincaid, but John Kincaid was mm, uh, yes. was was in town what, two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago at this point.
0: Yeah, a little so, mystery uh, um a little mystery, uh, photo at the airport, uh, just saying Philadelphia, John's mom, um, was sick and she passed away. He was in town, um, to visit her. Um, but there might be something more to it. I talked to him a couple weeks before that actually. And he just said like, he didn't want to work, um, until 2021, you know, he just wanted to take some time off. Um, but he wasn't gonna rule anything out, even in return to um to Philly, you know, because he had been in Atlanta for so long. I think he's got a college age daughter who I think is going to Temple. Um, I'm not sure when she's starting. I think she's a year or two away. But uh yeah, I mean he didn't he didn't have much to say, obviously, but he was um he did he wasn't gonna rule anything out. So it was interesting to kind of think like if John Kincaid did come back to Philadelphia, where would you put him? You know, um, obviously he's got the ties to WIP because he's called it. He's been a a regular um, appearance on Angelo's show for forever now. And obviously he's got the connection to WIP, but Angelo is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, They're winning in the ratings everywhere else. John and um, Ike are doing well. Joe and and John are doing well. Um, Joe Giglio is doing well in the evenings. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, they could be the station that would could use him the most as a fanatic. But would John Kincaid want to go to the fanatic and compete with WIP, with whom he has a relationship? And uh, obviously, like, going up against Angelo would be, like, sacrilege. Think about how pissed off Angelo was when Mark Farzetta went over there, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting, the prospect of, like, you know, Mike Cinelli's not really doing that great in the ratings right now. Um, and John and Ike, I think, have beat him, like, three times in a row now and I think they've won six. I think there've been 10 books and I think Nielsen's a scam and I hate Nielsen, but this is what they use. So we talk about it. Um, I think there's been 10 ratings books since John Marks took over for Chris Carlin. And I think they've beaten Mike six out of 10 times. So Mike has four wins and they have six wins, but Mike's numbers are down. It's been really political lately. I don't know if that changes after the election. Maybe, maybe it it all goes away um, based on if based on what happens, we don't know. But um, it's interesting to think that like, you know, I, I honestly, I think like if John Kincaid was going to be was going to come here, I don't think he would do anything on WIP because there's no room for him. He wouldn't do mornings at the Fanatic because he'd be competing with Angelo. I mean, w- would he replace Gargano? I think they like Gargano. Like He's well, good to sponsors, of, right? They're afraid of
1: Gargano's money. The sponsor is walking away. Yeah, he's,
0: like, he's good. He's a veteran. But like, surely you wouldn't. I think the time slot he would make a lot of sense on would be PM Drive on the Fanatic. But surely they wouldn't move on from Missinelli, would they? Well, the interesting thing is the day that Kincaid puts out the, uh,
1: the picture of being in Philadelphia also happens to be the day that Mike Missinelli changes his Twitter handle, loses his Twitter verification, eliminates every reference to 97.5 the Fanatic from his Twitter profile, it all happens on the same day. It's Very interesting. Curious. It makes you think.
0: It makes you kind of wonder a little bit, doesn't it? it does make one think, and uh, and for Missinawi to come out and say, "Well, it's,", uh, what it's in support. It was, it it's was, in support. It's in support of uh of uh of uh, Ben 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 Simmons. Ben Simmons, yeah, uh, Simmons tribute Simmons. to Ben Simmons, <laughs> which is the biggest uh, load of load uh, ben, of horseshit. Ben Simmons. He
1: it's well, it's funny because like um. By the way, he he still does not have any mention of the station in his stuff from what we've gathered his contracts up in December. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if this was just a tactic on his part to try to, uh, maybe hold that over a 97, See, here's the thing. And, and I guess it depends on, on your, your stance on this. I don't see a scenario where Mike Missinelli can say, I'm going to leave and go to WIP one. There's no place for him. Two, there are people at that station who I don't think are the biggest fans.
0: No, there's no, absolutely. And
1: so Mike, I don't think has the, the leverage in, in that kind of sense where like, Oh man, this is like, this could be a, a massive loss for us and gain for the opposition. So I don't exactly know where his leverage would be in terms of like going some going somewhere else, but him leaving really does delegitimize the station quite a bit. Like, if you think about the long-term prospects of a station, and I get that like long-term doesn't really exist in radio for the most part, with the exceptions being like the Angelo Catali's of the world, maybe the the Glenn Macnaus of the world. I guess Gargano to some extent, but like, if you think of it like this, you kind of like, I would think that there has to be some kind of thought that goes into, I've got these guys in their roles in terms of like being the anchors of the station. But do I also have people that I'm developing on weekends? Do I have people that I'm developing with night shifts that in the event that one of these guys moves on, I have somebody that I can plug and play right away. I don't think 97.5 has that. Like I think they have a few guys who are like another year or two away. If Mike Missanelli leaves, like what's the option? Like, do you, do you bring Jason Martitas in to, to roll the afternoon like one i don't know if he has the time to commit to it given all the responsibilities with the flyers um do you go to gargano in the afternoon that's not going to beat marks and reese do you you're not going to put farzetta there because the the word has been that they've looked to move on and hand the reins of that show over to somebody else i don't think they have anybody ready you're not going to hand it over to Tyrone and to Natalie to run that show. Like that's not going to be a thing that's going to, you know, last a, a long time. So who exactly do you have? I yeah, mean, it's, Jamie it's, Lynch does a good job. Is he going to like, you're not going to put him on the afternoon. I like Salchunas Jamie I think does, Jamie a, good, does like, a good job. Salchunas, Salchunas does yeah. a good job, Yeah, but like, unless the idea is you're going to put those two maybe as a midday show and move Gargano to the afternoon until you can figure out what you're going to do like mm. maybe that's the play. Here's the thing and and I mean this in the nicest way. I don't think that 975 has a lot of A personalities. I think they have a lot of B personalities. I think they have a bunch of people who are really good as the co-hosts to something, but they're not the they don't have enough of the people that can drive a show. And so I I don't see a, like, it, it doesn't feel like they have somebody who's, like, ready to take the reins or to, like, seize the, the moment, to seize their opportunity. I don't see it there. And I could be wrong, like, maybe there's somebody that they know they have in a limited role right now that they could, you know, bring up, and, and maybe they do shift things and send Gargano to the afternoon for a few months or for a year and, and try to build some kind of show in middays, but I don't see it right now. And most of the options that you would think that are, you know, some of their more well-known names or some of their weekend people to me are like the co-hosts. They're not the guy who runs it. This is like a lot of people like Harry Mays. Harry Mays is not a guy that I would say is like a show driver. I think Harry Mays is like a really good guy to have as the number
0: two to play off of whoever the main host is. Yeah. Like right. your a, your a and B with him and Bruno.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so like, I just think they have a lot of B's and they don't have many A's and if Missinelli were to leave your whole operation feels like it's been delegitimized because you don't have somebody ready to step up into that role. Or if, you know, if it ends up being Gargano, is that going to be the face of your station? And what are you going to do to fill that role? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that, like him leaving, he might not have the leverage in terms of having a direct competitor go to, but,
0: well, and like leaves, Mike like, is like,
1: what's, what's the draw to the station,
0: right? Yeah. And Mike and Mike is like synonymous with 97.5, you know, I mean, ever since they started, I mean, he was their main dude and he's kind of been the, the most solid mainstay, you know, like the, the guy who was consistently beating WIP for a long time. And he was like the cornerstone that they built that station on, you know, so it's, it wouldn't be easy to move on from, from a Mike Nissenau. And then they have a simulcast deal with NBC Sports Philadelphia where he's on TV as well. Um, but yeah, I agree with your take there. Cause it's like, you know, gargano is a veteran mike's a veteran mark k- kind of is but we you wouldn't put him in the same category as like mike or uh an angelo Cataldi or an anthony gargano or a you know a glenn macknow or a jody mack or something like that wip is, is flush with those kind of guys rife with those kinds of like ricky ricardo's and rob ellis's and yep. um glenn macknow's and jody max and um they have a lot they have a, a a deeper talent pool, I think. Whereas like, yeah, who do you who do you go? The drop off, I think, at ninety seven five from Mike um and Gargano to like Salchunas and Jamie is steeper. Not because I don't think those guys are good. I do think they're good, but because they're they're younger and less experienced, I think. But um it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean basically like what our sources were telling us was that Beasley wasn't too Thrilled with the headphone throwing incident, and uh, you know some of the political stuff was getting to be a bit much. But it's hard for it's hard for, from afar to know how much that has an effect on um, sponsors and and the sales department money and stuff like that. Especially in a in a time when when COVID was really killing uh, advertising and there wasn't anything going on and people were struggling economically as it is to, you know, you have your radio hosts come out and do these polarizing political takes. I and mean, then you lose one sponsor when you're on thin ice to begin with. And maybe that's it, you know, and Beasley had a bunch of layoffs and you know, they had a 10% salary reduction and stuff like that. I felt like for a couple of months there, all I was writing on the site was like this, there's, there's layoffs here, layoffs there. This person's taking a cut. These people are taking a cut. This, this person got furloughed, you know, it was like negative, negative, uh, everything for a long time. But, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I mean, if John did come here, I think he would do well on one of those slots at the Fanatic. But I don't. I don't know what it would take to move on from like a, an Anthony Gargano or a or a Mike Massanari. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I was just
1: looking to see because uh, you know you talk about Beasley and all the things that uh, went sideways for them. Of course, our uh, our former station, six ten ESPN. Mm. Yeah, they, uh, they killed off as well
0: yeah so that's the black information network now i think under iheart is iheart running that i think i think i reported I, have no is idea. That what I reported yeah um yeah it's just not a great time to be in radio or media or anything like that you know um you know COVID, it's funny COVID though. was rough covid was rough we you know a lot of lot of people they got rid of you know it was all those like middle i think we talked about this on the last podcast too because kyle was on but there's a lot of those like middle salaries too it's like the people yeah. who were making like $200,000, right? Because if you were making $50,000, it wasn't worth cutting you at all. But if you're making a million dollars or whatever, like, well, you're going to retire like two years and Nobody's ever going to earn that again. So it was like those people kind of in the middle, um, you know, like uh, kind of those veterans, but weren't in like on air roles, you know, those managers and stuff like that, like marketing managers and stuff like that. Those are the people who are getting canned. So, yeah. Well any other media nuggets or did we get did we get to all the? Media I think
1: we got nuggets? to everything I wanted to get to. I have to say I was really upset. I saw Portnoy was doing the uh, the cheesesteak reviews.
0: <clears throat> uh, today, yeah, he's all over Philly. Today,
1: <laughs> today marked the day that I uh, I went back to counting calories and trying to work out. I did 15 miles on the bike at a uh, at the gym today. My legs Uh-oh. my legs and I are not getting along right now. Look and I watched you. I watched him eat a cheesesteak, and all I kept thinking about was the uh, the thin sliced ribeye I've gotten the uh, in the freezer. And all I wanted to do is make myself a cheesesteak, but I'm going to be good. I'm going to be nice. Well, anybody
0: else have uh, we're uh, you know, it's a, it's a podcast for, uh, for the people. I just wanted to make sure we uh, didn't miss any questions here.
1: Well, you know, Bob, Bob Wankel, who uh, didn't have the uh, testicular fortitude to get his mic out and mm-hmm. hop on the show, wanted to, uh, to troll about Carson Wentz. I don't know if there's anything that we didn't touch on
0: that, uh, that people said I, I did. Here's a, here's a good one. And I'll answer this real quick. This is from Brian, right? Um, would you consider benching Wentz for a half? If he's poor against the giants, like a McNabb 2008, I would. If coming out of the bye is different than going it going into it. You yeah. Know? Like absolutely. Cause if you got two weeks to get your head right and you don't have it right, then you could absolutely justify that for sure.
1: You know what the problem is though, is like, I know that you said before about like how bad would it be to have a quarterback controversy. If, if you thought that there was a chance that Jalen Hurts might be the guy that could lead you to, to better success this year or you wanted to consider the option of having him long-term, isn't this setting up – or like, couldn't it have set up like Tua in Miami? Like if if you – like I know – uh, if I remember correctly, didn't Tua come in at the end of their last game before the bye and then he, he came out this past week, had a pretty solid game? Like if Jalen Hurts had come in in relief – and then you knew that you were going to build the game plan around him, and you had that extra week to install packages for him during a bye week. Like, wouldn't that be setting him up for the best success? Like, I, it would to me seem like it's a bad idea coming out of the bye week to then at some point bench Carson and play Jalen Hurts, because you would have you would have blown that opportunity to
0: have an extra week of lead time for the rookie. But maybe here's I'm a wrong. question: I'll, We can end it on this. Uh, this is a question I asked on Twitter on Sunday night. What was the last Eagles game that you watched that you like really truly enjoyed it? Like you were entertained and they won and you were like, hey, that was worth my time to watch it. The Super Bowl. And so the Super Bowl. There's some people who said that. Honestly, I thought it was last year when they beat the crap out of Buffalo on the road. Yeah, they let good. they let Jordan Howard run the ball like twenty three times and he had like ninety some yards and they ran they ran the ball like forty times that day and Carson Wentz only threw it like twenty four times, but it was that was probably the last one. It's just it's just been cumbersome, man. It's been like laborious. Um, you know, like obviously, like you know, we got to watch the, you know, I watch it because it's the job and like I write about it or whatever. I like to break down the game, win or lose or whatever because I like the X's and O's of it. But man, these games have been tough, dude. It's just like. I can't imagine what it would be like for, for, you know, for somebody who doesn't have to, somebody who's watching it voluntarily, you know? Um, but I just feel like they're kind of in purgatory right now. I'm not really sure what side they're on. So I feel like they need a little bit of that chip Kelly, but not a lot of it, you know, because you are also going to be stuck with, you know, a bunch of 38 uh, year old dudes on the offensive line.
1: Not but just one. You know what? I, I think we need to end on, on one positive note. We had somebody who, uh, Went over to Apple Podcasts and left a five-star review on October the 8th. (laughs) House Mountain. Here's to you, House Mountain. Great listening, five stars. Mind you, we hadn't done a show since uh, May 8th, I believe, of 2020. But uh, House Mountain came on in October said, Great listening. Come on, guys. Give us some new podcast episodes. I really enjoyed your banter, humor, and knowledge of all Philly sports and hope you'll resume your good work. Well, this one's for you. Well, that's very nice. We should that's name this episode "House Mountain." We're not going to, but but we
0: can consider it for a second. We have at least one listener. So we
1: have at least now, and there were a few on Twitter that also uh, have been kind of poking and prodding. We had Rich Molinero, who uh, uh, he of the Carlino's fame in the past, who uh, got us set up with a live event there, if you remember way back. That was the uh, Super Bowl year as well, I believe. And uh, well, anyway, very special. Glad that, year. Glad that we got to. Uh, to get back on the uh, on the old horse or whatever the expression is, and uh, had had a great time just talking some Philly sports with you, old pal. Russ,
0: it's always it's always a pleasure, and uh, I just want to dedicate this podcast to all the uh, the the true blue collar, uh, hard working uh, six for six Philadelphia sports fans out there: Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, Union. And fusion. fusion
1: fusion have been going through a lot of uh, upheaval recently. By the way, the union don't forget you can subscribe to it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin mm-hmm. Kincaid as uh, they choked away the chance to win the supporter shield this weekend. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get it done though. I think they'll get it done. They might, they might, they might get it done. Knock I mean, on go, wood. Go subscribe yeah. to that show, listen to Kevin talk about soccer. By the way, speaking of soccer, Phil Kydell came out of his hibernation. Now that he's settled in on the main line and mm. he's considering a, uh, a run back here at a uh, crossing broad FC. So go, uh, go enjoy that. And of course, uh, snow, the goalie, we'll be back later this week. Anthony the has been
0: greatest podcast,
1: the world's greatest the world's hockey podcast. <laughs> uh, Anthony finally came out of his, uh, I don't know if I'd call it his slumber. I actually saw him a couple of weeks ago. He stopped by my house and, uh, he was wow. at the Pen Pennhurst asylum.
0: It's like, oh, oh, yeah, up there in uh,
1: Springs, uh, Spring City. Yeah, so he, yeah. Uh, he swung by for a little bit to chat. And uh, I don't know. I guess we'll be doing an episode this week, so that'll be fun. We got a lot of podcasts coming out on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. It's been a while, but we're back at it. And uh, we'll, I guess, be back next week. I guess next week we'll come back. We shall see. Thank we'll you, see what, everybody. We'll see what Thanks. Philadelphia sports brings. So uh, for Kevin, at Kevin underscore Kincaid, I'm Russ at Joanne Broad. Go read the site. Kevin spends all day doing it. He's a machine. Thank you. I appreciate that. Talk to you next week.